Matthew chapter 19, verse 27. We will go through chapter 20, verse 16. And this is the word of God for us this morning. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, In the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you've made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. He replied to one of them, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So, the last will be first, and the first last. Pray with me, please. Lord, you've got things to teach us. I know you have hearts you want to change. So this we say, Lord, we yield to you today. Do your will and your work in our hearts and in our lives and in our souls. Shatter pride, grant hope, break hearts, shape hearts, mold hearts, speak through your word. Lord, I will confess to you without any hesitation, I am an unworthy servant and an unworthy vessel, and only you can do the work that needs to be done this day. Please do it, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You can be seated. Have you ever wondered about your reward as a Christian? Have you ever wondered about how God will treat you given what you have to give up to follow God? Have you ever wondered, is it all worth it? Have you ever wondered if God really treats his children rightly in the end? Come along with me and see. We're going to see that when Jesus returns... God's going to make things right. And today we'll find four points in this text as we see that truth. So let's jump right in. Point number one for you note takers. 
when Christ returns, saints will reign with him. When Christ returns, saints will reign with him. And that's that reign with an E, by the way. If you write R-A-I-N, we need to have a conversation about something else. Look at Matthew 19, 27 to 28. Then Peter said in reply, see, we've left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Let's set the scene. Peter has just seen Jesus welcome little children. And he's just seen the rich young man walk away. He's seen Jesus say it's impossible for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven, as impossible as for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle. And when Jesus was asked about it, he told them, well, with man it is impossible to be saved, but with God all things are possible. Now Peter's wondering about himself and the other disciples. These guys left their homes and their careers. They followed Jesus around for just over three years now. They walked with Jesus all over Israel. They listened to his teachings. They were sent by him out on mission. But if it's impossible for men to be saved on their own, if the blessings of God seem upside down, what's going to happen for the disciples? Have they done enough? Have they believed enough? Have they followed enough? So Jesus here responds to Peter with kindness. And he takes Peter's focus away from the here and now. Peter is not to expect that because he's followed Jesus, his life is going to be easy. In fact, Peter's life is going to get a lot harder. But Jesus focuses Peter not on this age, but the age when Christ returns. Jesus reminds Peter that a day is coming when the Lord will make all things new. Jesus calls this age the time of the new world. And that's not new language. This, is, this was promised in the Old Testament even, right? Isaiah 65, 17 says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. Isaiah 66, 22 says, For as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain. God has promised coming sometime in the future a recreation. God has promised a time to come when God himself is going to Fix what has gone wrong in our world because of the fall of man. God has promised to turn back the darkness and stain of the curse of sin and to give to his people a world in which to live where the ugliness and the pain of this life are no more. You know, the funny thing is, I wish we were more excited about that than we are. You ever thought about the things that won't exist in the new heavens and new earth? Hospitals? Lawyers? 
ambulances, abortion clinics, politicians, <laughs> sin, sinus infections, cancer. Which of those do you want rid of? Yeah. We were discussing in Sunday school whether mushrooms will be there, but that's a, you know, I don't know. I think they're a result of the fall, but you guys may differ. But don't you want to stop failing? Don't you want to stop messing up? Don't you want to stop hearing that your friend has cancer or someone's got dementia or someone shot someone or someone blew something up? Jesus says, I'm turning that around. During this new era, Jesus is going to return. You guys know this, right? The Bible has promised us with utter clarity and absolute surety that Jesus, just as he, after he rose from the grave, ascended into heaven. Jesus went up in Acts chapter 1. He left the earth and went into heaven alive where he is alive with God the Father. Though Jesus still has his body, his human flesh is on him. But he's glorified and he's in heaven and he said, I'm coming back. I'm not leaving you. I will come back. My feet will touch the ground again. I will rule. In that time when Christ returns, the earth itself is going to be made new. And Jesus says, when I do that, I'm going to reign on the throne of God over the earth. Jesus is going to reign. He's going to rule over all nations, just like the Bible has been promising ever since the beginning. And Jesus tells his beloved disciples that when he sits on his glorious throne, they too are going to have thrones upon which to sit with him. Guys, that's a future I can't even wrap my brain around. But the New Testament says it more than once. Listen to some things. In Luke 22, 28 to 30, during the Last Supper, Jesus says... You, to the disciples, are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. 1 Corinthians 6, 1-3, Paul writing to the church about not being foolish and petty enough to try to go to the secular law courts to fixed difficulties we're having with each other, says, when one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know, get this, Paul says, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know, Paul says, that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? In Revelation 3.21, the Lord Jesus says, The one who conquers, who overcomes, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Revelation 4.4 gives us the picture saying, Around the throne were 24 thrones and seated on the, on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. Guys, it's beyond the scope of what we need to do this morning to figure out how all that's going to work. 
That would require a deep study of eschatology, the, the doctrine of the end times, to try to figure out everything that could be implied with these thrones and with these crowns and this judging and what it means that the people of God are going to judge Israel or they're going to judge angels. And, and it really depends a little bit on, on how you understand what, what the future holds and what does the Bible mean in Revelation 20 when it talks about the millennium. You might think of this as a very literal thing. You might think of it as a highly figurative thing. You might think of it as somehow both. And that's not really Jesus's point right here. He wants you to take the message of the passage to heart. When Peter asks Jesus, is it worth it that I've given up everything to follow you? Is it worth it that I left my home to follow you? Is that enough? Jesus assured Peter that Peter and those like him will have heaven as a reward. These men who were looked down upon in society, they were mocked by the supposed leaders of Israel. They will eventually be exalted by Jesus to places of leadership and authority. When Christ returns, saints will reign with him. You ever feel like this life is too hard? You ever feel like we get a raw deal in the world? Jesus says to you that the way to have hope is to think eternally. There's coming a day when the children of God are going to see God reign. And God says that we will both be his subjects under his rule and we will be his partners seated with him and ruling in some fashion. So when things feel unfair, You can rest in the joyful truth that you, if you are in Christ, are not going to be left downtrodden forever. You'll rejoice and you'll reign with Christ in glory. Second point. When Christ returns, all we have sacrificed or suffered will be made right. When Christ returns, Returns. All we have sacrificed or suffered will be made right. 29 and 30 of Matthew 19 said, And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. See, in case those who hear Jesus You know, Peter, now you and me reading this together. In case we get the wrong idea, Jesus quickly says something to let us know that the 12 disciples are not the only followers of Jesus to gain at the return of the Savior. Any believer who has followed Jesus is going to be rewarded by Jesus. Any believer. Any of us who have followed Jesus. Look, if you follow Jesus, will you agree that there are sacrifices that come for being a follower of the Lord? Is that true? We're not free to steer our lives in any direction we choose. You gave up that freedom to come to Jesus. We are not the masters of our own fates. We are not the captains of our soul, as Invictus would say. Your body, your family, your career... Not any of that belongs to you. Not if you follow Jesus. And it is surely possible that following Jesus is going to cause you to lose things in this life. Things that many people think of are as important. 
That's why Jesus points to what we may sacrifice. Houses, brothers or sisters, father or mother, children, lands. You might lose any or all of those things. You might lose any number of other things that you treasure just for following Jesus. But Jesus promises you that he will reward his followers with more. Far, far more. A hundred times more than anything you could ever give up. Reminds me of Paul talking about sacrifice and reward in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18. Paul said, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away. You ever feel like your outer self is wasting away? Some days more than others. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. We may suffer in this life because we follow Jesus. We may have to turn down opportunities that others would take because we don't want to dishonor God. We may have strained relationships of one sort or another. People may mock us on the internet, not give us jobs. They may boot us out of a place to worship. But God will more than make up for any pain you could ever feel. Paul says the pains of this life, and you've hurt, haven't you? Have you hurt in your life? If you haven't, you haven't lived much of one. Some of us have hurt deeply. Some of us have hurt, been cut amazingly. God says that the pain we have felt will look as tiny, light, temporary in comparison to the eternal, overwhelming weight of glory. Keep this in mind, guys. The little children that were there in verses 13 to 15, they had nothing to offer God. They were seen as lowly, as pests. (laughs) Jesus says, they look like people in the family of God. The rich man has everything he could ever want from a worldly standpoint, but he's outside the kingdom of God. Because having stuff in this life, having comfort in this life, being safe in this life is not worth giving up your eternity for, not even a little bit. Yeah, following Jesus might cost you now, but in eternity God promises you and God promises everybody who follows Christ a reward that will dwarf any struggle we face for following Him. And know this, dear friends, God knows how bad those struggles are. Jesus was walking to the cross. Peter would himself be executed some three decades later. 
Prophets in the Old Testament had been stoned, had been sawn in two, had been tortured. But God says to us, and He shows us in His Word, that the reward of heaven, the reward that belongs to Christians at the return of Jesus Christ, is worth more than any pain we could ever, ever face. So who's that promise for? You've got to understand these promises of comfort and glory on the other side of this harsh life are for those who have been forgiven of their sins and made into children of God. These promises are for those who come to Jesus in faith and repentance. You want the mercy of God? You want the grace of Christ? Then confess to Jesus, I'm a sinner. Commit yourself to obey Jesus and surrender to Jesus. Turn away from sin. Turn your life over to Him. Believe that Jesus died and rose from the grave to rescue you. And ask Jesus, please Jesus, turn me into a child of God. That's how to be forgiven. Well, the children of verses 13 to 15, they came to Jesus with nothing to offer and they were accepted by Jesus. The rich young man thought he could bring his goodness to the table and he was rejected. If you want life in Christ... Come to him as you realize there's no good you have in you to earn the favor of God. But coming to God's not easy. Coming to God is costly. It changes your life. And it may change your life by making it a whole lot harder. That's why God gives us the church to care for each other. We're supposed to live this life together. And God says he will eternally Heal us and he will eternally make up for any short-term sacrifice we make in the here and now. I wonder what Peter was thinking after Jesus said all this. Don't you? He's probably thinking what Jesus said in verse 30. Man, it looks like many who are first will be last and the last first. It looks like Jesus is turning it inside out and upside down. Many who look like life has passed them by are going to have great rewards from God. Many who look like, like life has given them all the good stuff. They're going to be in eternal danger. And somehow this comforted Peter. But I wonder if Peter, because he had followed Jesus from the beginning, started to feel good about himself. You ever do that, by the way? You ever think to yourself, well, I've been a good Christian. I've been a good sacrificer for what if Peter thought, man, I must be ranking pretty high then, if that's how this is going to go. That's why Jesus gives us this parable that comes next. There's no smugness to come. We don't earn the rewards God gives us in eternity. Third point, all the saved will be rewarded with heaven. All the saved will be rewarded with heaven. Verses 1 through 7. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idly in the marketplace. And then he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. 
So here's a parable from Jesus. And this is clearly intended to be speaking to you and me about the conversation that Jesus and Peter had at the end of chapter 19. And like many of the parables, Jesus uses a really simple picture of life to teach us spiritual truths. We've got a landowner who goes out to hire day laborers. These workers, day laborers like this, would have been poor people who lived from day to day. They, they could be found in the marketplace and they'd go to work for anybody who would pay them a good solid day's wage. And the parable presents here really two groups that are in sharp focus. The first group, first set that's hired, about 6 a.m. Man, it's an early morning start for these guys, the first hour of the day. And they agree they will do a day's work in the vineyard for a denarius a standard single day's wage. But throughout the day, the landowner goes back to the marketplace and he hires more workers. 9 a.m., noon, 3 p.m., hires more people. And he never tells those people exactly what he's going to pay them. He just says he's going to pay them what's right. Now, if a denarius is a full day's wage, these men probably assumed they were going to be working for less. They were working less than a full day. Final group is a group that the owner hires at the last hour of the work day, about five o'clock when quitting time is six. They go and work for an hour. Now, those guys can't expect much, right? I mean, come on. You can't expect a day's wage when you work the last hour of the day only. Then the parable, as most parables do, gives us a little surprise in the form of a plot twist. It's pay time. Guys, we see something beautiful when paytime comes. Look at verses 8 and 9. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. It's weird it's weird that the owners, that he decided to pay the men in reverse order. But hey, it's a parable. It's supposed to be weird. That's what parables are about. If a parable just told a story with no, nothing odd in it, it wouldn't stand out. And we're going to learn something right here. That last group, that one hour working group, gets a full day's wage. They were entitled to one twelfth of that amount. They get it all. Just going to work in the man's field gained for those workers a full reward. Now, how's that teach you and me a spiritual truth? All the saved will be rewarded with heaven. See, if you took that conversation with Jesus in, in chapter 19, verses 27 to 30 the wrong way, you might think that the way that you get to heaven is by being sure that you have a lot that you sacrifice. You might think that if you're not one of the original 12 disciples, you have no hope. You might think that if you didn't come to faith in Christ early in life, your reward from God is going to be small, prorated, right? Diminished by how little you could contribute to the kingdom. Or maybe you think that you think that your life, if you don't think, man, my, I don't have the gifts other, people's have, other people have. I'm not as strong as other people. I'm not as smart as other people. I'm not as good a reader as other people. I'm not as, as hard a worker. I, I, I get tired easy. 
You might think your life, your work, your contribution means less to the Lord. But God is showing us, dear friends, that the Lord is not one to play favorites with his children. For all who come to faith in Jesus, all who turn to Jesus in genuine repentance, God has a full measure of grace. What's it say to you? Have you lived a long time without coming to Jesus for salvation? Maybe you know somebody, you think it's hopeless. There's grace. There's grace even at the last hour. There's grace that's glorious. Now, don't put off coming to faith. But don't you dare, Christians, fear that anybody is too far off to come. Because if there's still breath in a person's lungs, there's still room for the grace of God in their soul. Maybe you look back at your life. Maybe you look back at your life and you think your story's not good enough. Do you ever feel that way? You disappointed in your life story? Some people think their testimony's dull. What's my story? Oh, I grew up in a Christian home. They told me about Jesus. I prayed a prayer. I trusted Jesus. I've followed him ever since. Boring. By the way, other people sitting right next to you might think that all the wrongs that they've done, all the stupid things they've done, all the evil they've done should make them a second-class citizen in the kingdom of heaven. Well, in both cases, the parable that we just read says to us that the mercy of God on your life is full. There is a full measure of grace for every single person who comes to faith in Jesus Christ. There is no such thing as a second-class citizen of heaven. And it shows us that we don't need to fret over opportunities we don't have. You ever get jealous of the gifting of others? Some people are just good at stuff, man. Those people drive me nuts. Some people have this passionate evangelistic gift. It seems like when they share with Jesus, people just come. I have no earthly idea why. I say the same words and they look at me like I'm an idiot. Some people have a way about them that says they're okay with going and living in the jungle and taking the gospel to the nations and they find wide open doors to do it. And when you see people like that, praise God for those people that are out there on the front lines giving up everything they can to take Jesus to whoever they can take him to. Praise God for that. But you know what? Praise God for faithful husbands and faithful wives and faithful moms and faithful dads and faithful kids serving God the very best that they can right here in the ordinary, everyday, simple, quiet life. Both are tremendous parts of the kingdom of God. Both the ordinary folk And the world-changing missionaries have the same heaven to look forward to. There is great hope, friends. There's great hope for those who fear that they may be hopeless. And as we wrap up here, by the way, it might be a little bit of a reproof for others. Point number four, last point for today. When Christ returns, God's sovereign grace will be glorified. When Christ returns, God's sovereign grace will be glorified. 10 to 16. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them 
also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, these last worked only one hour. And you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. So here we go. We get back to the first group hired in the parable. They saw other people getting paid and they get excited. If the one hour workers got a full denarius, what are we going to get? Right? Wouldn't you think that way? Maybe two. Maybe ten. I worked twelve times what they worked. Maybe twelve. I worked all day. But when they get to the foreman, they are paid the single denarius that they've been promised all along. And they're mad about it. Honestly, the way the language works with the evil eye and the grumbling, it's pretty much like the Bible saying they're giving the stink eye to the owner. They grumble. It's not fair. The owner's gentle but clear. You haven't been cheated in any way. You agreed to work for a denarius. You got your denarius. You should not be upset. You can't. You have no right to be mad at the landowner for giving a denarius to others. It's his money. He'll do with it what he pleases. Now remember, please, this is not about work ethics. This is not about how to run your business. This is about the way of the Lord. This is about the rewards that God has for his children. You see, maybe some people will think they deserve more from God because of their service or their sacrifice. God must owe them a special bonus for all they've given. Maybe Peter and the disciples think that they deserve more than those who come to faith later. I mean, after all, Peter and the others followed Jesus from the beginning, so they must rank on the tippy top. Maybe Jewish Christians will think they deserve more than Gentile Christians because they've got a connection to Moses and Abraham. But Jesus says the last will be first and the first will be last. God's not going to answer to you and me for how he doles out his grace. God is going to do what is right. And you and I do not have the right to tell God what right is. We don't have the right to tell God how people should be rewarded or how others should be judged. Now, does that mean, friends, that there's no difference in reward? Not necessarily. That's not the point of the parable. Other passages in Scripture would indicate to us that there are special rewards to those who give of themselves to the Lord's cause. But the point here is that you and I will never be the ones who determine how God rewards others. God's the master. God does what's right. God distributes his grace. Even God distributes his grace to people you and I don't think deserve it. Aren't you glad about that? I can tell you right now that if all of us knew all of each other's stories all the way from top to bottom, 
Do you think everybody in this room would think you deserve to be in? Would you think everybody deserves to be in? Aren't you glad God's the one having the grace and not you or me? We do not have the right to grumble against or question God for how God displays or distributes or gives out his grace. We don't have that right. Because God's the master. And we can't think his thoughts. And we're not holy like him. And we can't possibly figure it out. The point here, friends, is that when Jesus returns, God's sovereign grace is going to be glorified. When we enter eternity, we're going to look at the work of God. We're going to look at the grace of God. We're going to look at the judgments of God. And you know what we're going to see? We're going to see that God has always been in control. That God is sovereign over us. We're going to see that God has given grace far more freely than you and I ever would have. And we're going to praise God because at the end, at the end, when the sin is removed from us, when our selfish pride is removed from us, when we see God in his holy glory, you know what we're going to say when we see what God has done? We are going to say that God praise you. You did every last thing perfectly. We will look at God and we'll say every last thing. One of your ways was perfect, even if I never understood it during this life. Let's tie every bit of this section together now. In chapter 19, 13 to 15, children who had nothing to offer were brought to Jesus. And the Savior said they were an example of the kind of humility and faith that marked those who belonged to God. A rich young man asked Jesus, how can I earn my way to heaven? Jesus said it's impossible, verses 16 to 26. Peter pointed out how much the disciples had sacrificed, and Jesus showed him God is going to abundantly reward God's children, granting far more goodness to God's children than God's children have ever, 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 ever lost. That's verses 27 to 30. Then in 21 to 16, Jesus showed us that our evaluation of the grace of God is not final God will give his rewards and God will give his mercy in the way that fits God's kindness, God's grace, God's character. And every bit of that should cause us, friends, to praise Jesus and to long for eternity. Because in eternity, we will reign with Jesus if we're his. In eternity, Christ is going to reward us in such a way that our afflictions and our pains from this life are going to look tiny when compared to the joy that we receive. We rejoice because the grace of God is available for all kinds of people. We rejoice because there is no such thing as a second-class citizen in heaven. And we bow down to the sovereign glory of God because God's ways are not ours, but they are absolutely perfect in every way. Even when we don't understand his ways, we know his ways are best. And if you haven't come to Jesus for salvation, if you're still wrestling with that or you're not sure, your response to this ought to be simple. The call for you is this. Come to Jesus. It might be the first hour or it might be the 11th hour of your life. And by the way, you have no idea how many more days you have to live. But God says this. 
Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Turn away from your sins and put your trust in Jesus. And he says, I will give you new life and I will give you the reward of heaven if you surrender to me now. Come, friends, don't wait. Don't put it off. Don't fight it. Don't battle Jesus. Come to Jesus in faith and find the grace of Almighty God. That is the call of God on our lives. Let's bow together and let's pray. Lord Jesus, again we say you are good and we thank you for the gospel and we acknowledge here and now that we have nothing that gives us the right to stand over you in judgment. Your ways are perfect. Your gospel is perfect. Your plans are perfect. Your holiness is beyond compare. Help us to see that our worth is in everything you've given us. Help us to trust you, praise you, hope in you. Help us long for the day Jesus returns. And Lord, where we failed, forgive us, have mercy, change lives. We ask it in Jesus' holy name. Amen.